0: Welcome to the Find Your Awesome podcast. My name is Kelsey Abbott and I'm your host. I'm an intuitive human design reader, a certified professional coach, and an instigator of joy. And I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited to introduce you to my new best friend, Nicole De Boom. Nicole and I had so much fun playing on her podcast run this world. And I'm so excited to introduce her to my audience. You guys, Nicole is incredible. She is a former professional triathlete, the founder, owner, creator of Skirt Sports, former owner. She has since sold her business and she's in the in-between right now, which is a space all of us have been and will be in some point in our lives. It's a space of magic. I like to think of when we meditate, we think of the inhale and we think of the exhale. And we focus on the inhale and the exhale You know what happens when you allow yourself to become present, to become aware, to allow the space in between, that space between breaths. We don't just go inhale and inhale, exhale, inhale. It's inhale, then exhale, then inhale. And the magic is in the in-between. So I am so excited for Nicole in her current position in in-between. I can't wait to see what's next. And I know it's going to be pure magic. Nicole is a 5'1 MG. She is here to feel deeply and to co-create and to lift others up. And this woman is so wise and grounded and magical and empowering and filled with joy and love and magic. And I'm so excited for you to meet her. So, I hope you enjoy this conversation. I love you. You are pure magic and stardust. Go forth and be awesome. All right, I'm so excited to play with you again, Nicole.
1: Kelsey, I feel like it's been too long already. It's been like a week. I know, I missed you. (laughs) Since you were on my show and you like lit up my world, I had so many great responses to the interview we did together. And I know at least one or more of my friends were like, I got a book a reading, like stat.
0: I just had so much fun playing with you and being in your energy. And I was like bouncing around after that conversation, like, oh my God, I have a new best friend and, <laughs> and I just want to talk to you all day long. So now we get to record it again.
1: Isn't that the best feeling? And you know what? Based on the fact that I can't schedule things too far in advance, we may be talking on a fairly um, what consistent timeline here because yeah. there's a lot of things that are going to keep happening in my life and yours. We're going to have to stay connected.
0: Yeah. And I'm totally open to that because we are constantly evolving. And that actually makes me think of what we just mentioned right before I hit record, which is embracing the flow and the uncertainty of all that is right now.
1: Yes. I mean, you use the word flow frequently. I mean, I think it's really important in what you do now in your line of work. And I think it means different things to different people at different times. You know, as when you're an athlete, well, as a woman, remember Aunt Flo, mm-hmm. yeah, she's not coming as regularly anymore for me. You know, it's like, I'm just trying to embrace all of the things in my life that are happening in real time and not try to control them and not try to turn them into something or predict what they're going to be. Just let them be. And this is new for me. This is a challenge for me but it's really fun when i when i'm able to like successfully do it so every day i'm finding success in this arena
0: what made you decide to explore this whole adventure with flow
1: well with the idea of uh, you know i think it it's kind of the concept of living in the in between chapter of life like You know, when we're in a chapter, we are driving, we're striving, we're trying to make stuff happen. And I just ended like this big career chapter. And there were many things wrapped up in it. And my identity was wrapped up in it. My sense of success, you know, or failure (laughs) was wrapped up in it. And then it just finally ended. And as it was ending, I was forced to explore the flow, um, concept because things kept happening that kept making me realize that I couldn't really control the next step. The next step was going to happen regardless of what levers I was pushing. So as, as skirt sports ended and I found this great sort of, we, we reframed the finish line from being the actual end of the race to a baton handoff at the end. And I was able to successfully sell my company instead of just shutting it down at the end. Um, that's when I effectively entered the in-between. <laughs> and I sit today in the in-between because I'm now letting life happen and I am trying to be more aware of the things that are flying through the universe. It's like I want to just sort of every once in a while stick my hand up in the air and catch something. But there's nothing really to catch yet except some snowflakes here in a steamboat because we really actually, we we sealed the deal by um, not only ending a chapter, but physically changing our, our whereabouts um, to create a new chapter in a new place there's
0: so much to that and okay so the <laughs> first thing that i think of is in between it's in in marine science it's the rocky inner which is where all the fun stuff lives not the not the charismatic megafauna not the whales and dolphins but the barnacles the the mussels the the snails these are all the, the things that are accessible to us and they live in the water and can survive in the air. And they have all these amazing mechanisms to survive in that in-between. And we have those too. I mean, ours are different. So, Yeah. And you know what's crazy though? They're not glamorous. Mm -hmm. Like those are not the
1: glamorous things. So, you know, I'm actually enjoying not being in the striving phase of life. You know, I've thought about this a lot because I feel like I've been in that phase forever. This is maybe the first time I haven't been in that
0: phase of life. Yeah. Let's back up to, let's go all the way back. You were, you were a wicked fast swimmer. You became a pro triathlete. Let's start there. Great. How does that evolution from some triathlete <laughs> happen?
1: I love it. Um, well, I was one of those, like you said, high performing young kids who, who perform not only in sports, but in school. And I went on to swim at Yale University, which was really cool, just awesome college experience. I had all of it. Like I actually quit swimming junior year so I could focus on drinking. And then I went back to swimming after actually, this is a total, we're going to go everywhere today probably, but I junior year in college, I was so burned out on swimming and so kind of had lost myself a little bit, that I was just partying and having fun and having the full-on college experience, but I was also trying to work out because fitness was a part of me, so I would go out on these long runs on the streets, like six, seven-mile, eight-mile runs around New Haven, Connecticut, And one day my hips started hurting and I was sort of limp, limping and walking a little more gingerly. But then the next day I would, then I would drink a lot that night and get hammered. And then the next day I'd wake up and I'd go for a run again and it would run through the pain and then it would be fine. You know, you kind of run through the pain a little bit as an athlete. And it turns out the limp just kept kept getting worse to the point where I could barely walk. And I went into the medical facility and they took x-rays and they were like, Nicole, We are committing you today to bed rest. You have stress fractured the neck of your femur and your other femur also has a stress fracture right in the middle. And it was purely due to unhealthy life habits, but trying to maintain like a high level of physical fitness. And it wasn't even working. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I was the heaviest I'd ever been in my life. You know, I was pure beer, you know, puff, the whole thing. So, yeah, I came back from that. I I went home that summer and recovered my body and found swimming again. Because
0: what Mm. can you do? And also swimmer to runner. Swimmers tend to be a little awkward on land at first.
1: Yeah, you know, I actually had a pretty solid running um, background. I was a fast high school runner, but I quit running after sophomore year in high school to focus on my swimming. So it was there, but it wasn't consistent. So, yeah, when I'm like, hey, what's the one thing I can do to offset all this beer drinking? I go out and pound my body. Wasn't used to it. You're right. But, yeah, what do you do to recover when your body is injured and hurt and suffering? You get into a pool, a weightless arena. And I rediscovered swimming that summer, and it felt very therapeutic for me. So I came back to to Yale senior year and I swam again. I swam pretty fast again. It was really mm. fun. Um but after college when you're a college swimmer and I know you know this, um when you graduate and if that was main the main part of your identity in college and you didn't really find that thing that you were so excited to pursue next, you didn't know what your career was going to be, there's nothing for swimmers after college, unless you're going to be in the Olympics, there really wasn't pro swimming. So I went home and after a little bit of soul searching, decided that it was time for me to try another sport that had always been in the back of my mind ever since I watched, gosh, maybe a uh, Julie Moss crawl across the finish line when I was in junior high. And, you know, I saw that suffering and I thought that's for me. <laughs> I must suffer like that someday. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was like, I, I think it's time. I mean, I don't know what I want to do in my life, but maybe I'll try the sport of triathlon because I always wanted to. And that's how I got into triathlon right in, gosh, right after college in 1994, 95. And
0: then how long before, or yeah, before you went pro?
1: Well, it it was actually a really kind of a quick and fun ride um, to maybe the elite level, in 95, my very first year, I made the ITU like world's team for mm-hmm. amateurs. I barely made it. I was last, like 12th place in my age group. And I got to go to Cancun where they had the short course race. And on the airplane, on the way to the race, my future husband sat next to me and he was already a superstar. He was already a You know, professional. He was 24, and he was a phenom, and going places. We just, we just clicked. So when I met Tim, I got serious about triathlon, like much more serious, and I improved a lot. But it did take a few more years. We had decided, like, I was a talented and great athlete, but he was already winning big races and making, you know, money in the sport and getting the top ten in Hawaii Ironman and stuff. So. We just said, why don't we wait until you have like really earned it? Like you've, you know, won your age group at nationals or something. And so we did, we waited until then. Um, I went pro in 1999 and I raced pro till sometime in 2005 when, when my shoes got thrown away after the last race. Cause I knew it was time for the next chapter.
0: <laughs> How did
1: you know you know, it was interesting. Um, it was a fun ride as a pro triathlete. That's a cool lifestyle. I mean, you travel around, you get to play. Yeah. You play, you play all day. You wake up and you're like, okay, here's my plan. I'm going to swim and I'm going to eat a pile of food and then I'm going to ride my bike and run. And then I'm going to have a massage and I'm eat a bunch more food. You know, it was like, really, this is my life. Um, but I had come up with an idea towards the, what I didn't know was the end of my career and I was pursuing it. And it was for a women's clothing line that hadn't been done before, something that you looked and felt great wearing, that was comfortable, that fit your body, like clothes should fit a woman's body. And, and none of this stuff existed back in the you know early to mid 2000s. It's kind of crazy because it wasn't that long ago go, but it was really men's products, you know, colored differently at the time. And, um, so I came up with this idea to make a running skirt and I was, it was fueling me. Like my passion was shifting. I, I was helpless to stop it. Even if I wanted to, I was so excited by the fact that I was learning new things every day. I would wake up with just like crazy ideas and, Um, so I was, I was working on this idea for a new clothing line when I was still racing because I, I believed that you shouldn't quit your day job until you knew the next thing
0: was going to work. Did you have any background in fashion? Did you have any idea what you were doing in terms of designing skirts?
1: No, I had zero background in fashion or business. Um, but I was an athlete who was marketed by companies. You know, I, I, I learned a lot as a triathlete being on that side of the arena, but no, I hadn't, I didn't know how to create or design products. I sketched stuff on napkins, literally. And then I found people who knew how to get shit done, you know? <laughs> so, um, that's kind of the approach I took each step of the way. I just, i really, really listen to my gut a lot in those early days, like what needs to come next. And I actually, back then, you know, I bought books like the how-to guide to starting a business and the girlfriend's guide to starting a business, you know, and I would read all the chapters and they all had the same foundational pieces and I just started putting them together. And so I found myself in 2004, in September of 2004, on the starting line of the Ironman Wisconsin. Getting ready to do this big Ironman race and knowing that on the run I was going to be debuting a prototype of this little skirt concept that I'd been working on, and we were going to find out if it worked or not. Mm -hmm. And did it? It absolutely did. I won the one and only Ironman win of my career was wearing that little first skirt sports prototype. Um, Coming across the line in first was just one of those feelings that, um, I will always remember it was a special moment and it, there's a lot of meaning behind it. You know, it wasn't just like cross the line, like in any other race, right. You feel great. You're done. Now you're going to go eat some donuts or whatever. Like (laughs) there was, it was definitely a little more magical.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk about that skirt. I mean, like, What did it feel good to run in? Were people commenting on it? What did it feel like to wear something that you'd essentially made?
1: Yeah, it was, um, it was like a secret weapon. You know, I, I came in off the bike in third place and, in the transition, you kind of dump out your bag and you sit down for a minute. Most of us do Ironman and, uh, you put all your stuff on, like you dump out your transition bag and there it was my shoes, my socks, my visor, my glasses, my, my food, you know, I'm taking a caffeinated gel. And the last thing on the ground was this little skirt. And it was, I, I just looked at it and it was kind of one of those moments of like, am I going to do it or not? Cause it's putting myself out there too. This is a crazy piece of apparel. Nobody had done something like this, but you know, back then, and some people still choose today to race only in a swimsuit. Mm -hmm. And so my, you know, I was going to be doing the run in a one piece swimsuit. And what I wanted was something that covered my butt that had a pocket for my gels. And that just might give me a little boost that you get when you're trying something new.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And I did feel that way. I felt that way. I put it on, I started running and it was really cool. Um, The Wisconsin Ironman is at the University of Wisconsin-Madison campus, which is a crazy party campus. And it was a two loop run. And when you're in a lead position, they have a bike assigned to you that says like, First female, second female, third female. And on the first loop of the run, the bike would go by these aid stations in the crowds and they'd be like, oh, here comes another woman. And I would come closer and they'd be like, it's the third woman. Go third woman. And I would hear it. And as I went by, I could also hear people going, what is she wearing? Is she wearing a skirt? Skirt? It was like the word skirt. Just I could hear it, right, throughout the whole... That So by the second loop, I've, I'm now in the lead and I'm running scared because there's fast people behind me, but I'm hanging on. And as I would come up to these groups, they're like, oh, the first woman's coming. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see who it is. And as I would get closer, instead of saying, "It's it's the first woman, you know what they were saying? They were yelling, oh my gosh, here she comes. It's the skirt. go skirt. It was literally an identity shift on the race course. You know how we create these identities for ourselves throughout our lives. That was a shift on the race course that day. I crossed the finish line in first wearing that skirt. And I went from being Nicole DeBoom, pro triathlete, Tim's wife to Nicole DeBoom, the skirt.
0: Uh, Which is such a superhero name, by the way. (laughs) So you were the skirt for how many years? I mean, how many, how long did skirt sports last?
1: Skirt sports was around for over 15 years. I stopped racing the next year. You asked when I knew it was my last race. I had, it was August of the next year, like almost a full year after that debut. And I had actually started a company, we In our first year of business, we did over $300,000 in sales. I didn't know jack shit. I didn't know what I was doing. Um, and I wasn't training and my body could fake it for a while. Mm-hmm. But in August, I went to the Chicago Triathlon, which I had placed top two for the last three years. And I worked at the Expo the entire weekend on my feet, meeting people, sharing the love of my company, selling skirts, slinging skirts. And I got out on the race course and I remember being on the run and I was in 12th place and it was the very first race in all of my pro racing career where I was out of the money, the very first one. And I was like, it's done. A, it's not going to help my company for me being 12th place in a race. B, it hurts really bad. And C, I'm not having as much fun out here. I was having a lot more fun at the expo. So I just literally left my shoes in the transition, walked off the course, and uh, at the end, I finished. You did um, finished out of the money, mm-hmm. but did it, and now it's like, it's done. The passion has shifted. I'm on
0: to the next thing. You followed what lights you up, like a good MG.
1: isn't that amazing? But you, I fought it for a while. I mean, you know, I think there's a, it's, it's hard to put your finger on the pulse of exactly when the bright moment is, Mm -hmm. but when it does present itself, it's, it can be obvious.
0: Yeah. So speaking of right moments, then how did you know it was time to close out this chapter of skirt sports?
1: Yeah. So So I ran skirt for 15 years and it was amazing. I mean, we were, we took the fitness world by storm. We did what I wanted to do. I mean, there
0: are now multiple brands making skirts and dresses and, you know, all thanks to Nicole DeBoom, the skirt. You know, honestly, we created a category
1: that is not an easy thing to do. People were like, oh, that's going to be a fad. I was like, okay, I guess it'll be a fad, but I'm going to hang on as long as I can. And then like five years in, people were like, that's not a fad. And in fact, on their websites, next to tops and bottoms and capris and shorts, the word skirts started to show up. Every company was making skirts. So, you know, we went through all kinds of waves through 15 years. It was not like for a while it was easy. And then it got hard. And then my life changed and I had a kid and I never worked the same again. And, and I had investors and I wanted to sell the company and make everybody a whole bunch of money. And then in year 14, um, I was getting ready actually to sell the company right before our 15th birthday. I knew that it was time. I knew I needed to move on. The company was on a great three year swing cycle and, we got hit with a tsunami wave by our biggest client, Amazon, who threw us a loop uh, for a loop, and we just couldn't recover. It put us in a tailspin, and 2019 was a very tough second half for me. And I realized I wouldn't be able to sell my company. And I know that it takes another three-year push after you recover to position yourself properly. And I knew that I just didn't want to do it. I might have it in me, but I didn't want to push again. I've been doing it so long, but we came into 2020 and I thought, you know what? We survived. Okay. It wasn't pretty, but we survived yet another cycle at Skirt Sports, the worst one we've had. And 2020 is going to be an awesome year. We are going to recover. It's going to be, I'll get us back on track and then I will move forward with my plan. And then, you know, within weeks, COVID, coronavirus hit. And some companies have completely thrived, but the first month or two were really tough for pretty much everyone. And we were just not in a healthy state. And I realized I had to make a decision right then. So I knew in early 2020 that I was going to be closing the doors. And I announced it in May of 2020. And, uh, you know, we just, I moved forward then on the path towards closing. And that is when I finally decided to step back and let things play out. Once I made that final decision, I knew that I could only control so much.
0: Okay. So speaking in human design terms, you let go of the not this. Yes, to make room for the this uh-huh, absolutely
1: what that feel like <laughs> well, super liberating once you get used to the feeling of discomfort, it's just like being an athlete,
0: yeah, you just gotta I get mean comfortable being wicked, uncomfortable,
1: absolutely, and until you can find comfort in the discomfort, you will never you will never hit your potential as an athlete
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know. Um, so I found comfort in the unknowing and I said, well, I've decided to close down. So we will just take steps to do that. But maybe just maybe there will be a different result along the way. Maybe I will find someone who sees value in what I built for 15 years. And sure enough, as the story played out at the very end of the game, I found that person, and I was able to transition the company instead of closing the doors.
0: And were you actively out there, like throwing notes to millions of people, being like, "Buy my company"? Um, yeah, for you.
1: Yes, and that is the thing. So when companies sell, it's usually a super private process, like. You, it's this weird process. Like, I still don't really know how it even works generally because in order to sell your company, you have to tell people you want to sell your company unless it's one of those situations where a magical buyer just like contacts you at the right time and you never had to prepare anything. You're like, oh, that sounds perfect. Let's do that now. Um, So we decided to put out a press release. So we put out a press release in May of 2020 and we said Skirt Sports is looking for a new owner and i got tons of of people of interest individuals customers companies random organizations and i fielded every single one and what's funny is the the person the organization that ended up buying skirt sports was someone who didn't even see the press release who contacted me because she was following up from a six month old email. I had sent her last November and I was like, Hey, you want to do a cross promotion? Cause I was doing everything I could to survive the, the tsunami wave of 2019. And she was like, Hey, I've been through my own personal challenges. So I'm just catching up on some really old stuff. Do you still want to do this? And I wrote her back. I was like, no, I do not want to do a cross promotion, but if you'd like to buy my company, I would like to talk. <laughs> she was like, well, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> she called me back and
0: uh, yeah, it took off from there. So pretty cool. Yes. So much magic in that. All right. So then the, the first day after you've sold skirt sports, what yes. was it like waking up that day?
1: Well, this is really, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's kind of an unfair question because you are planning to sell and the actual process of selling is truly putting a signature on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And do you know what that looks like in today's age of COVID? I have a video of me standing in my office. I go, Tim, take a video of this. I had a document up and I pushed my finger on my mouse pad and it was done. And I was like, well, that's anticlimactic. Let's go make dinner. You know, so, but it, you're also preparing for it for months. And in this case, we made it happen fairly quickly. But like what what was really interesting was the process leading up to it. I, it's, it's a cool story. It's another story of like needing to let go before doors can open for you. Hmm. So yeah, here we go. So we had decided, um, we didn't know how to, I still needed to sell a lot of inventory. So in order to pay off all our debts and clear our books and maybe have some money left over, we needed to sell $700,000 of inventory that we had in a warehouse. And that's how you run apparel businesses for the most part. I mean, you've got inventory for multiple seasons and you sell it and discount it and sell it. Anyway, that's what we had. When we made the decision to shut down, that's how much we had. So it's a lot. That's not like 500 units, tens of thousands of units. And we didn't know what to expect. I mean, I talked to people who've closed clothing companies and they were like, you know, six to nine months, probably be able to move it all to your existing customers online Only the same customers who've been buying from you for years. And I was like, how the hell are they going to buy that much more in six to nine months? But I was like, well, let's try for four months and go from there because you never know. And I don't want to be like moving stuff into my garage and dealing with all of that. So let's just see what we can do. So we kind of put a little plan together. And every day I wrote emails because we were down to me and one other person. I wrote the emails, and every day that a slightly different message or different photo, and I would push send and people would buy stuff. And uh, it got down to what we decided would be the last week. Said August 16th will be our last day. As the inventory was rolling down, I was like, it's a Sunday. You know, it gives us time to whatever. We just, I kind of picked the day. And one week prior, we added up the units left and we were down to 750 units. I thought we had 400 and I was like, okay, we can sell 400 in a week. And then then we did the actual count. We're like, how do we have 750 left? Okay, well, that's whatever. So we started pushing the trigger and we started using the messaging like final days, this is it. And the first day, half of it sold. And the next day, half of that sold. And in my mind, I was like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen exactly how I've seen it happen in my mind. We're going to sell the last unit on August 16th. And it came to Sunday morning, and I think we had 29 units left. That's it. And they were mostly extra small black one-piece swimsuits, believe it or not. Like, not the thing we're known for and not something that might be easy to sell, right? And, but that morning I, I knew we were going to do it. And so at like nine o'clock, I hit send on this email and by 11 o'clock, the very last unit sold, they were all gone. And I, I, I looked in the database and I wrote an email to the last woman who purchased. And I said, I just want you to know you bought our very last unit. And she said, she wrote me right back. And she said, I've been wearing your products for 14 years. And in my heart, I was like, you're the perfect person to buy the last unit. And she uh I so then our family packed up our car. I was feeling kind of like buzzed and weird and like, oh my God, it's done. Like we sold it all. And I'm still working on selling the company, but like we got through this big thing and it just happened. And I packed up my my family and we got in the car to go to Steamboat for a week. We were gonna visit Steamboat. We had put an offer on a house that we really wanted, but we didn't get it. Somebody else got it. So we had a backup offer on it. You never know. We didn't have it hold out any hope. And literally it's a four, three-hour drive halfway through. I got a call from my realtor and she said, hi, Nicole, are you guys both there? I'm like, yeah, we're halfway to Steamboat right now. And she said, well, I got some news for you. The other offer fell through. The house is yours. So, one hour, hour and a half, two hours after we sold our very last unit of skirt sports products that I would be at the leadership helm of, our life was going to change in a bigger way. We got the news that we were going to be moving. It was like, boom, it couldn't have happened until that
0: scenario played out before it. You've needed to make space. Yeah, I did. And then, how long? After you found out you got the house, did you find out you had a buyer?
1: Well, I knew I had a buyer. We were working on it, but we couldn't announce it because I didn't want to announce anything until the ink was dry. Um, but we, I signed the papers a couple weeks after. Literally, it was so fast. We moved in. Gosh, this all happened from mid-August to the end of September sold the last unit, got the house, sold the company, and moved to Steamboat. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> and why Steamboat? <laughs> you know, the Steamboat was driven by Tim.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there's, there's certain things in life that I feel strongly that I need to lead or push for, and this wasn't one of them. Um, he needed life change. He needed a new chapter to thrive. He had been stunted. And I started to realize, I had this moment one day where I went out for a hike in Boulder and skirt had closed and people recognized me. And they're like, oh my gosh, Nicole, hi, love your stuff. How's skirt sports? And I had to have that weird on the trail conversation of, well, we just closed our doors. We hadn't found a buyer yet, you know, or close the deal. It, it didn't make it like in my head. I was like, I failed. You know, I, I didn't, I wasn't successful. Like that's how I felt for quite a while. Um, and I realized that Tim's been going through that for a decade or longer ever since his big wins and his early, you know, in the early 2000s when he was the name and the guy. And once you start to go down the bell curve on the other side, it's difficult to explain. And I realized, my gosh, if I stay here, I'm going to have to have these awkward trail conversations every freaking day. You know, for a moment, it just hit me like this is what Tim has been through. And I'm about to go through it and I'll go through it in different ways, no matter where I am. But maybe it would be good for me to move too. So we just made the decision as a family. It's the weirdest time in history to move with COVID and pandemics, and but it's the best time too.
0: Yeah, you could call it weird or you could call it divine. I feel like everything just lined up to make it perfect for you. Yeah,
1: it is bizarre. And the word perfect, I mean, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. You know, there is no perfect, but everything's perfect. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how to handle that, but I do feel like I am in this swirling dervish of perfection and imperfection all sort of combined into one right now.
0: That's called life. It's beautiful. (laughs) Um, When did you, so you said at first you felt like a failure. When did you realize that you're not a failure, that you didn't fail?
1: It probably took about a year because... I felt like a failure the minute I realized my company was in serious trouble last August. And, um, you know, I, I really spent some serious time grappling with the fact that I did not reach the goal. I had set myself in business, which was to sell for a shit ton of money and, you know, walk away and make my investors like help them buy their second homes and, Um, It just didn't happen. And I don't think I was able to turn that around until maybe right around the time we sold our last unit. I had a lot of pep talks from a lot of people. You know, it might've been when I, when I, I was very public during the process of letting go It's really hard to let go and it's hard to start something new while you're letting go. So I finally just backed off and honored that I needed to focus on letting go. Um, And when I put that out there and shared that I felt disappointed in myself or, you know, that I, I didn't succeed, so many people had their hands on my back. And that's one thing I love social media for. I mean, it was absolutely incredible, the feedback. Like, it felt like, you know, when you go to a funeral or a memorial service and everybody shares what they loved about the person, I felt like that. I was like, oh my God, why do we wait to do this? We should share more frequently because that's what we need when we're alive, not after we're gone. I needed it. And many of those people, not many, but some of them i didn't have that many investors, but some of them were my investors. And they said, Nicole, you have changed so many women's lives. I'm so proud to have like supported you in this organization and your success. And that meant more to me than anything, because these are people who I felt like I lost all their money, you know? And then I realized like, it was, about more than the money. And there's so much power in creating something that... More power in creating something that changes people's lives than just puts money in people's pockets.
0: You created a movement. <laughs> I did. You didn't just create a skirt. I did.
1: I did. I did. And it's, you know, it does make me feel like the next thing I need to do needs to be so epic. Like, but then I back off and Tim, I told Tim that the other day, he goes, I've given up on Epic a long time ago. I think we just need to do something that we love. And I was like, well, duh, that's why I started skirt sports. That's why it was successful because I just was doing something that I loved. Mm -hmm. And that's what I, that's, that's where I keep coming back to when I let my mind open to the, what could be, You know, of the future. And uh it's just gotta be something that I love that is natural that I would be
0: doing anyway. It is gonna be something you love, it's gonna be something creative, it's gonna be something where you co-create. It may involve your physical body and it and you have no idea what it is right now, and it's none of your business to know because the universe is gonna show you and you're gonna get to respond and be like, Yes, that, and then you're just gonna go and ride your flow. You know, you're like you are a bit of a medium. You know that.
1: <laughs> I, do. I know you're you're tapped into the actual medium of human design, but it it extends beyond that. Mm-hmm. Like are you literally looking at a crystal ball right next to your camera cuz I'd like no, to.
0: That would be cool. That would be cool. I don't like that. <laughs> and my son personality gate in human design is to be intuitive about the future for others.
1: Mm, That's right. So is mine, isn't it? That's what you told me.
0: You have that. It's not your son personality gate. It's a big part of your chart. Your son personality gate is the feeling deeply.
1: Oh, yes. That is actually very true. And you know, my daughter definitely I feel she has that you shared a little bit about her, but it's interesting, you know, how we, maybe we pass these things on. I don't know if they're actually passed on, you know, through, through the philosophy of human design, but it feels like it.
0: My theory is that we choose, we choose our parents and we choose our parents so that like you, you'll go through something at the same time. Like she'll get to learn as you're learning. And so you guys, it's like, you guys get to go to school together.
1: Oh, I love that. I do feel that a bit, but I think you have to be open.
0: You definitely have to be open. And you need to, this whole conversation has been about letting go. And it's reminding me, I recently picked up The Exquisite Risk by Mark Nebo. And it's a book I've had on my shelf. I've read it I've read it enough times to have dog-eared a bunch of pages. So I just opened to one of those dog-eared pages. And it was this story of a guy who had been really excited. He got up really early, went to the paint store, got a bunch of paint, he's gonna repaint his family room. And then he had like four cans of paint and all the brushes and all, all the tools, the tarp and everything. And he gets to the front door and he's like, okay, I can you know carry it all in. And then he tries to open the door. And of course, in opening the door, everything falls and he's covered in paint because the thing is we have to put it down to open the door.
1: That is such a good point. Oh my God. You know, letting go is, it's a process. I think every time you let go of something big, it's going to be unique, but you learn each time Mm -hmm. how to maybe, handle it in a way that's better suited to you and you know we've all had times in life when we can't let go we're stuck we're holding on to something that doesn't serve us anymore
0: yeah and for you going through life as a professional athlete and then life as a business owner as mgs we bounce through a bunch of different experiences collecting what we need For our next experience. So as Steve Jobs said something to the effect of you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking backwards. So if we're going to connect your dots, what are the gifts that you picked up from your time as an athlete and from your time with skirt? Well, I think what's
1: interesting is those are the two big careers, but the two bigger areas of life that i think have given me more let's call it opportunity to learn <laughs> were my relationship with alcohol and my marriage those were my biggest challenges my you know my two big areas that were the hardest to let go And I learned a lot more from those than I did through my racing or my, my career. It's interesting, isn't it? Cause like I'm defined more by being an athlete and an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. but that's, that's not what has informed my growth (laughs) as much. And
0: this matches so well with your desire to feel deeply. Mm. That is, that gift is typically aligned with alcohol or another numbing technique because feeling deeply is, it's a lot.
1: Yeah. It's a lot. It is. And I think it's a gift that I'm going to work on a little bit in the future because I think there's a, I've always felt very connected to other people's emotions as well you know, Mm -hmm. and I think you are too. And I think that's one thing that you can even feel through the airwaves here, but like, um, yeah, with alcohol, you know, that relationship started when I was in junior high or high school really. And it was just bad from the beginning, but it felt good to me when I remembered how it felt, but I was a blackout drinker. So I didn't remember a lot of what I did. And I knew it was not a positive thing for me, but I just didn't want to let it go. I wanted to try to control it. I wanted so desperately to include alcohol in my life in a positive way. I would be like, oh, tonight I'm just going to have a couple of beers or a couple of drinks. And then I'll, I'll, I'll feel where the line is and I'll stop. And sure enough, the next morning, I'm like, what happened? What happened last night? You know, like I just I just didn't have it in me to be able to drink in a way that worked for me in my life. So stopping was the best thing I could have done by when far. When did you do that? Um, a couple of years, maybe a year after I started Skirt. Mm-hmm. It was 2008, I think, 2007, 2008, right around there. So it's been a while. I've been sober, completely sober. I just stopped um, Tim actually asked me to stop because we were working on some things that were really hard in our marriage. See, going into the next big challenge point. Um, and I just knew that if I didn't do this, then I wouldn't be able to look back and say, I did everything I could to see if our marriage could work, you know? So I was like, all right, I will stop. I'm sure it won't help our marriage. I'm sure we still won't make it. I'm sure I'll be out of here in like, you know, six months, but six months in I was, it had shifted. And I went from not wanting to be in our marriage to wanting to be in our marriage. And I'm not saying it's been a clean road ever since it's been a rocky road, but at least that, that coping mechanism, that addiction no longer existed. So I was able to, and now I'm able to make decisions that aren't clouded by a substance. Mm -hmm.
0: And when we allow ourselves to be able to feel the whole roller coaster, feel the deep troughs, we also enable ourselves to be able to feel the, the high joys.
1: Yes, that is very true. You know, this is really interesting too. I remember when I was on the pill I don't know what kind of birth control you've done over the years, but I felt like it even it leveled me out emotionally to a point that maybe wasn't great. Like I feel like it's important to feel the ups and downs and I guess maybe that's my human design, right? That I should be able design. to. But um yeah. I felt a difference even just getting off of that substance. Isn't that interesting? That is so
0: interesting. So the ways we can be completely unintentionally out of alignment with our design.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is crazy. I mean, I can look back, you know, I was one of those girls who got a belly ring in college. So I was like the first one in the world.
0: No, Nicole, <laughs> <laughs> It, was, really it was not... <laughs>
1: pioneer of everything. Um, no, like the, so I had a belly ring in like the early nineties. Right. And, uh, I had it for a good 10 years. And I remember one day just going, I feel blocked. I need to get this thing out of here. And I got it out of there and it helped, you know, it felt like I freed something up. Isn't that interesting? It's like the things that we put in our bodies that we ingest, that we, you know, literally staple and put into our bodies can really block our flow going all the way back to flow so
0: much. (laughs) Yes. And it's so interesting too, because belly ring, that would be your sacral. And as an MG, this is you feeling what's a holy hell yes. And what's a no, this is everything for you. Yes.
1: Yes. And that explains why whenever I've had these extreme emotional moments my back just sort of like gives out my lower back. A lot of people feel it in the shoulders or their whatever. And I've always been one of those like lower back people. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I mean, I literally have a condition in my back now. So who knows if that's actually energetic, but you know, it's something I'm going to have to watch the rest of my life. Oh, I don't want it to, to continue to progress. <laughs>
0: I feel like we can play with that um, with a soul magic session. We can talk about that when we're done recording.
1: Oh my God. But if that's
0: energetic, let's get it out of there. Tina Yes, Tina can take that out. We can clear that out.
1: Oh, you guys are hilarious too. I love (laughs) it. That would be a joy for me. Um, It actually is a physical bone that protrudes now. So there is a physical piece to it, but man, we got to stop that piece from moving.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And maybe we can even get it to allow itself to go back to where it's supposed to be.
1: Oh my God. Yes. This is called pure human design magic. I'm this, in. This is magic. We're doing it. Yes. Wow. Yes. Oh, I love it. Everything so yeah. Awesome. Yeah. This is just, what a fun freaking journey, huh? It's wild, huh? It is wild. And you know what? There's still a whole nother few lives ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm calling this our decade house. Like I could see being in steamboat for a decade. You know, my kid will be going off to college if college exists. And, and by then, and you know, the next chapter will be on. Maybe we'll be on a beach. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe I'll be alone. I don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. I love your dance with the unknown. Whoo. Yeah, that's kind of a fun and scary place to live, isn't it? Mm-hmm. For a lot of people. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. When we were traveling around the country in a camper, um, I went into Barnes & Noble. I have no idea what state this was in, but I remember going into Barnes & Noble. I think I just, I'm, I'm a, I am am i ai always need a book to read. So I think I just was looking for a book to read. And this book fell off the shelf, of course. The Art of Uncertainty. And it is my favorite book of all time. Well, no, actually that saying that makes me feel uncomfortable. I love this book a lot. Um, <laughs> and I was living in these places of uncertainty cause right. Like I had no idea where we were going to live, no idea how long we were going to be in the camper, totally loving the present moment and loving the experience. And when I would jump ahead, I'm like, Holy crap, what are we doing? I don't know where we're going to land. And yeah, the, the dance with uncertainty, it's a practice. It is.
1: It all comes back to finding comfort and joy and discomfort mm-hmm. because uncertainty is very uncomfortable. It is. I think to everyone, I don't know a way around that. I, you know, I know very few people who just wake up and are like, okay, hi day. And like n- no need for, planning of any kind or structure of any kind, you know, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting time for me and it'll be interesting next year at this time. I want to have another thing. I want to do the next thing. You know, you said earlier, it's going to happen. So now I've decided that you will make that happen for me. (laughs)
0: Well, the universe that will. is a
1: holy truth now.
0: <laughs> I believe that you outgrew skirt sports, and the universe helped you along for a reason because there's something bigger for you to do. You really feel something huge. You're here to reach everybody, and you reached so many people through skirt sports, but there's another there's like another level, a more expansive. I I just really see you lifting up so many people.
1: That makes my heart sing. Hmm. I mean, I feel ready to do that. I'm I'm almost ready to do that. I need a little more time in this hibernation phase. I really do. I knowing I'm that you need it.
0: that is yeah. so. like that's true love of yourself and your soul.
1: It feels good. Mm -hmm. You know, my dad's a very practical, logical guy. He's like Spock, you know, what is next? Let's have the the plan and the path. And he's been an amazing influence for me in so many ways. But the other day I saw him or a while back, COVID makes it hard to see people. But when I saw him last, he was like, so do you know what you guys are doing next? And I was like, nope, don't have a plan yet, dad. You know? And I was just like, it's okay. It's okay to not have a plan. I felt okay saying that, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like mommy's or, you know, daddy's girl disappointing. I was just like, nope,
0: I don't have it yet, but you'll be the first to know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And when it comes, it's just going to be perfect.
1: Oh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to having that feeling of knowing when something's right. It's a, there is a fine line between letting things happen to you, around you, however you phrase it, and putting yourself in a position to be there when they do. Like, I have watched some people do nothing and just life just happens. And I've always felt like if you want something to happen, you need to go out and try to make it happen. And now I'm, I'm in an in-between Place. I don't know if I believe either way is right. I think there's something in between. You don't necessarily have to be pushing and forcing goals and objectives anymore. You know, maybe you have a dream and you can start to see that dream, but I need to be looser right now.
0: And remember, as a non specific person, You get to say, hey, universe, please bring me abundance for being my authentic self.
1: Hey, universe, (laughs) please bring me abundance for being my authentic self.
0: I like it. That sounds right. Your magic happens pretty fast. So let's see what happens tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will tell you.
1: I have cleared a lot of the energy that I think was blocking me. The belly ring, the alcohol, you know, the marriage is, is in a, like, we're on the road together. Mm -hmm. That feels good. You know, the business is not blocking me. Um, It's interesting. You know, a friend of mine, her name's Erin Weed. She's been on my podcast, as well as you have been on my podcast. Um, And I've been working with her for a while um, to help me with, to hone my my speaking craft. But also what I realized is she was really helping me tap into my inner message. And in, there is something she offers is called the dig. And she offers it for clients who usually are in a place of unknowing. So I went about five years ago this is how long i've probably outgrown what i was doing and was ready for the next thing and at the very end of this two day intensive session of like helping you get down to your heart and core um you she has this tradition with each person where they take a coconut and they write down the thing that needs to like be gone from their lives in order for them to move forward with whatever the new thing that came from the session. And do you know what the most hilarious thing I told her right out? She goes, so what are you going to write? And I, without skipping a beat, I was like skirt sports. That was the thing I wanted to let go of five years ago. And then she goes, um, can we back off on that a little bit and maybe, maybe reframe that to like, <laughs> um, uh, what would the word be? A sense of not loyalty, but like dependence, or feeling like you have to give back—you know—something that you've taken, right? Mm-hmm. The, like, oh, of, commitment. Just, it's the yeah. of commitment. Basically, yeah. Yes. So I was like, okay, I'll write commitment on there. But in my head, I was like, it's skirt sports. It needs to be mm-hmm. gone not because I don't love it. I love it. I love it so much. It's just that it's it's stopping me from doing the next thing. So I've been there for a while.
0: You have. And <laughs> what did you smash the coconut? What happened to the coconut?
1: Yeah, you smash it and you throw it in a river. Okay. So it's gone, long gone. It finally came true.
0: <laughs> I wonder what would have happened if you had actually written sports, Skirt Sports on it.
1: Yeah, I know. You're right there's a lot of power in that. It was in my mind. It was connected. Mm -hmm. It was bound to happen. (laughs) So yeah, I find myself here doubling down in the things that I love, which are like my podcast, which are connecting with other people who have a wonderful, powerful message to share with the world. And what a couple of weeks ago, that person was you who I had on my show And now I've learned this whole new different philosophy and way to look at my experience through human design. And so I just want to say, I appreciate you. Thank Um, you. Being part of my journey.
0: I'm I'm so happy to be a part of your journey. I love your journey. It's a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's one of my core values,
0: fun. Mm. Let's keep that one in. Let's absolutely keep that one in. I know you you've got a hard stop soon. So we're going to have to wrap this up. But before we go, Nicole, I've got two questions for you. All right. I, want to I always, I always lie when I say that, but we'll see. Um, my first is if you had a billboard that you could put anywhere in the world in this magical location where everyone could see it, what would you put on it?
1: I have you asked this question of other guests? Yes. Yeah. Cause I've heard them all stumble. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think I would put the word smile mm. and it, it means more than the physical act, but it's smile inside, smile on the outside. Um, I feel like that's really important. It's important to me. You know, there's a physical effect that you achieve not only for yourself, but the other people who see that wonderful, beautiful upturn of your lips that mm. creates positive endorphins. And that's what I wanna do in this world. So it's a small thing you can do too. And it's actionable, smile. Mm, I
0: love that. And it smiling makes everything easier. It does. If you smile yeah. while you're running, it gets easier. Oh yes, definitely.
1: And it's contagious. So everybody else starts smiling too. Yes. And then
0: when and then you can feed off their smile. Yes. It's like life-changing in the moment. I, I am going to hold myself to that one more question, which is really easy. Where can people learn more about you and hang out with you and listen to you? You know, I really
1: thought I was going to do this episode with you after I had the next thing so I could give them the thing, right? Well, now they're just going to have to wait and wonder. Um, but they can sign up for my emails at NicoleDeBoom.com and check out all the good stuff. I'm, I've am i sort of been loosely blogging big things in my life. Last week, I actually loosely blogged recipes. So that is a big thing. But um talked about relationships with food and... That's a really emotional and intimate relationship for a lot of people. But the other thing that I am just really loving right now is my podcast, which I've already mentioned. It's called Run This World with Nicole DeBoom. I actually have plans to start another two podcasts in the next couple of months. Maybe that's going to be the thing. Who knows? But um, I'm enjoying it. It's natural for me. It's about connecting and people love hearing real people talk, you know, and just let it rip. So here we go. I'm speaking to the choir. People are listening to a podcast. I'm talking about a podcast, but check mine out as well. And definitely listen to episode 182, why we are here with Kelsey Abbott. Um, She did a little human design reading on me. Uh, But yeah, that, that would, pretty much be it. I mean, you can check me out on social media anytime you want. You can reach out to me too. You can email me. It's easy. Nicole at NicoleDaboom.com. I'm here. Sometimes takes me a while to get back, but, uh, but I will eventually.
0: You're a real human though. And you'll, (laughs) yeah. Um, and we'll have you back when you know what the thing is. Yeah. To see the progression the magic, how letting go led to the entrance of magic.
1: I have a feeling you might know what the thing is before I do. So if you feel it. You I have to tell me. you,
0: I feel it, but I don't see it. And I don't have words for it, but I feel it. It's right there. It's right there. And I promise okay. I will tell you when I get more information.
1: Okay. They right feel it. And it's
0: exciting. Because and it has wings.
1: Oh my God. Sometimes we just want to be told. I know. But at the same time, I need to let it. I need to let it happen for me. So oh, I appreciate you so much, Kelsey. You're such an amazing person.
0: Thank you so much for sharing me with your universe. I love I'm so excited to share you with my universe. I love you and I'm so excited that we're friends now.
1: Yeah. We're gonna we're gonna hang out more. We are. <laughs>
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Remember, please head over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe to Run This World with Nicole DeBoom. It's so good. And do head over to her website also and sign up for her newsletter. She's magic with words. Just her writing is so accessible and down to earth and grounded, which is maybe the same as down to earth, but doesn't quite feel like it. And I'm beautiful. And her emails, they always make me smile. And if you want to work with me, if you want to dig into your human design, do that at KelseyAbbott.com slash human design. You can book an individual human design reading, a partner human design reading, or if you are totally nerding out on all things human design and you think you want to learn to read charts for your friends or family or clients, sign up for a human design playdate, and I'll teach you how to read charts. And then if you are feeling stuck or yeah, just frustrated and kind of meh, might be time for a little soul magic. So you can book a, session, a soul magic session with Tina and me at KelseyAbbott.com soul dash magic. And don't forget, if you need to reactivate your joy, oh my goodness, there is absolutely positively no shame in that 2020 has been rough. And if you, like Nicole, are in the in-between, sometimes it can feel a little sticky, you may have forgotten that joy is your natural state. You may not be practicing your joy right now. And Tina and I created a course called Sparking Joy. And the whole intention is to bring you home to your joy, to reactivate your joy. So you can go to KelseyAvitt.com slash sparking joy to get that course. It's 13 days. It's basically like an advent calendar with a brand new adventure every day and it's not a big commitment. These joy practices are tiny and the idea is they are things that will be part of your life when you're going through the course and then they'll be part of your everyday. because why would you do life without them? That's all I got for you this week. I love you humans. You are amazing. You are a miracle. Go forth and be awesome.